Yeah, hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to urge in the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to urge in the Channelized Bimbingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to the Premier League preview show for game week 33 of the 17-18 season. I'm Tom Rennie and coming up on the show today, a win for Manchester City against great rivals United and they'll be crowned Premier League champions on Saturday night UK time. United do not want that to happen. Can they stop them? Can anyone stop them? Liverpool might stop them in the Champions League. Is their focus on that second leg this week? What about Liverpool? They take on Everton early on Saturday. Their focus surely is on that return at the Etihad. Nobody thought they'd win 3-0. Noam Hamed Salah puts that game very much in doubt. It is the Premier League preview show for game week 33 of the season. Inside the penalty here for Mino, trying to turn, gets the shot in. Walker can't dig it away. Salah, 1-0 to Liverpool. Good advantage play by the referee. And Oxley, Chamberlain rifles one in from 25 yards into the top left-hand corner. That footed ball clipped in. Manny, 3-0. Liverpool are in dreamland. Half an hour gone. They lead by three goals to nil. Coming up this weekend in game week 33, Everton against Liverpool, 12.30 UK time. What a derby that is. Do you want more? Well, you've got more. 5.30 UK time. It's Man City against Manchester United at 5.30. That's a UK time. Across the three o'clock, it's Stoke against Tottenham. Bournemouth take on Crystal Palace. Huddersfield go to Brighton. Massive game for Huddersfield Town. That. Leicester against Newcastle. Watford take on Burnley and West Brom. Are they still in it? They take on Swansea City. On Sunday, two games. Arsenal against Southampton. Huge game for the Saints is that with Arsenal playing against CSK Moscow just a few short days earlier. And the last game of the weekend, Chelsea against West Ham United. Is Chelsea's domestic season over? Can West Ham get themselves safe? in a big derby. Loads going on and loads to talk about with talk sports football editor David Walker. How are you, mate? You all right? Yeah, very good, Tom. You? I'm doing very well. Uh, let's talk about West Ham a little bit later. My nerves are jingling and jangling. Let's talk about the big game that we watched this week ahead of these two derbies. Who had 3-0 Liverpool? Anybody. I mean, I thought there'd be goals. We all thought there'd be goals. But three for Liverpool and not a single shot on target for City for the first time in a game since October 2016. How did City get it so wrong? It was amazing, wasn't it? And I think there were a few eyebrows raised when that starting lineup was was announced. Not to have Sterling playing, mm. to have Gondoyan playing. Laporte was in. And look, on their day, all those players are brilliant, and they have been brilliant many times this season. But I don't know. It just didn't. It it, it didn't go right for them on the night. I don't know whether it was the players not turning up. I don't know whether maybe they were spooked by the the scenes we saw at Anfield before the match, or or simply Liverpool as they were in the league game 
at Anfield were just too much for them. What did you make to all that before the game? For those out there that haven't seen it, so there's really tight, winding roads going towards Anfield Road. The two coaches go towards the ground. When Liverpool arrived, and look to James Milner's Twitter feed for a good video of this, there's thousands of fans on the streets. And, you know, you don't just say Liverpool fans. There are people on the streets. Have they got tickets? Who are they? We don't know. But they were all setting off pyrotechnics, red smoke. It was fantastic when City went through it was uh, the opposite atmosphere. And also, unfortunately, some fans have taken it too far and they've thrown some stuff at the coach. Um, and they did look bothered, didn't they? I mean, you talk about why City weren't at their very best in the first 45 minutes. Those people on the streets were there to put those players off. And that's about as bad a 45 minutes City have had. It must have worked, yeah. right? Well, I don't know. I'm sure the players would say, look, it, it didn't bother us. We were focused on the match. And I'm sure play at some of the players... In different, played in different parts of the world, may have experienced things like that or worse in some cases. But I don't know whether it, it, you have to ask the question. It might have mentally affected one or two, or maybe just, just slightly put you off mm. the game. But the, the general atmosphere in Anfield, you know, inside the stadium, was one of the best it's Fantastic, been. Yeah. And, and people always go on about this famous atmosphere at Anfield. Actually, on a week in, week out basis, it's no real different to, to yeah, normally. It's just you never walk games. alone when you're feeding up yeah, in the 91st minute. Quite afterwards, honestly, it is. But that. Last night, on Wednesday, it was something special. You could hear that through the TV cameras, through the through the speakers coming through the TV, and you could you could you could feel it if you were at the ground. I'm sure, but I suppose quite simply, there was there were some basic errors made, weren't there? Individual mistakes made by the Manchester City players. Mm. Liverpool's players are the ones that are going to capitalise on that, and they did. And I'm not doing a VAR chat this week. We're not doing it. But Salah's offside for the first goal. Yeah, that's the facts. And should Sterling have had a penalty? I think Second so. half? Yeah. You know, I didn't see it first time around. I think Chris Foy was on TV and said something about yeah. it. You watch it back, it's a definite, definite penalty. But we're not doing it because, of course, they've got the extra officials and they obviously saw the lot. Uh, let's move on to another quick story. Uh, we'll talk West Brom later in the programme. But since we were last on, Alan Pardew became, I think, the 7,000th manager sacked <laughs> in the Premier League this year. Uh, West Brom have had more managers than they've got Premier League wins. Uh, now, Darren Moore, club legends in charge for mm. the last few games of this season. Um, and it is kind of amazing that Pard sort of survived that long with all the stuff that's that's coming out about rows in the changing room and the lack of respect they kind of had for each other and the fallout from the whole Barcelona trip and the poor tactics. and the I mean, I hadn't realised, obviously they've been awful, but when you look at the run of results and the run of losses and the teams they've been thrashed by, I mean, they got thrashed by Huddersfield at home. Uh, and they were still in the race then. They could still have made it then. I mean, not down yet, but, I mean, have they brought Darren Moore in now to just help the transition through the championship? Do you think anyone yeah. there believes West Brom are going to survive? No. I, I Honestly, I, I wouldn't. I think you'll do well to find a single West Brom fan who thinks they're going to stay up. They are adrift. The rot is well and truly set in, and they've pulled the trigger far too late mm. on Pardew. It's strange timing. Obviously, I mean, it's, I think it's the right decision, but... I don't know why they wouldn't have done it a few weeks ago, a mm. month ago or so, to when they still had more of a tangible hope of, of getting up and getting the points they needed to stay up, rather. Um, and it's 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 going to be a real strange end to the season, I think, for West Brom. Look, the only thing you could say is that if they do beat Swansea at home on Saturday, the hope will return. Do you think it will? There will be some there. Of course they will. Because that put them at 23 points, which if Palace lose this weekend, it's still seven points. Yeah, it will still be nigh on impossible. But we're football fans. That's what happens. When Mm. we have the 
slight opportunity of, of thinking we could do this, we start to believe. And unless we forget, West Brom are the, are the team who performed the, one of the original great escapes. They were the first team to stay up after being bottom at Christmas. Uh, it was a, a miraculous escape back then. What, about sort of 15 years ago so uh, ago now under Brian Robson? Mm. And I'm sure that it, 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 at the very least it will bring back some positivity to the Hawthorns, which has been sorely lacking. And it's a good game for them against Swansea, who are not very good away from home. Assuming that City win the league, I think that's fair to do <laughs> at this point. Uh, and the Champions League, I think, is done after last week with uh, with Spurs' victory over Chelsea. You just can't see that being overtaken. Uh, the gap that's between fifth and fourth now. Arsenal stranded in sixth. I suppose our big focus now is who is going to survive. And it is, yeah. It's been a big conversation topic for a long time, but that's the only thing to be decided. And if we're looking at, at that table now, and we'll get into this a little bit later, but it, where is the line now? Where is that number for you now to, to safety in the Premier League? Well... I would say, I would say this, but I'd say Watford in 11th place with 37 points. 37 as in no one who's in the bottom three now you think would be able to achieve that number? Because I've been trying to do this for days, obviously with West Ham on 33. I don't know, but I think, I mean, yeah, I'd be surprised if anyone got that. But then I still think Watford will pick up another win or a couple of draws just to edge them closer to the 40 or maybe above 40. So would you say everyone below Watford is still in this? 35 points, Newcastle just below. I'd say say Newcastle and down are still still definitely in the relegation battle. They definitely need another win. I I mean, look, let's put my partisanship aside. I think Watford actually do, you know, 37 points. If they lost every game Mm. between now and the end of the season, they would be running the risk of of a calamitous last day, maybe goal difference relegation or something. It would be that tight. Mm. But they, they'll all be desperate for getting that, getting those points, those teams in that mid-table. And then obviously you've, you've, got to, you've got to look at whether Southampton, Crystal Palace, Huddersfield can mm. win three games mm. when some of them haven't won three games or barely won three games all season. Uh, we're going to talk about all these teams, all these games. We'll preview everything we possibly can across the next half an hour or so. When we come back, we'll talk about the big derbies on Saturday in Manchester and in Liverpool. It's the Premier League preview show. Of course, it's so complicated because we're going to play a top, top, top team. Uh, but we're going to try. We have the permission to believe it, you know. So we're going to try. Now we start. For now we have to change immediately. United is coming at home. And, and after that, we're going to have three days to prepare in that game. Yeah, it is the Premier League preview show for the 33rd game week of the season. Tom Rennie and David Walker with you. Right, let's get to the big game of the weekend. Manchester City up against Manchester United from the Etihad Stadium, 5.30 UK time. Victory for City will see them crowned English top flight champions for the fifth time in their history and the third time in the Premier League. But does, as we've just been talking about on the programme, that loss against Liverpool just a few days ago change the emphasis of this game for City. They're going to win the league, could do it against Swansea, could do it against Spurs coming up. Will they be all guns blazing against United, as Vincent Company promised us a few weeks ago? That's one city captain. We're joined by our former one now in Steve Lomas to talk about just that. How are you, mate? You all right? I'm all right, Tom. You okay? Doing all right, mate. Listen, incredible, incredible game in midweek (laughs) against Liverpool. We'll talk about that in a minute. But on the game itself coming up on Saturday, how do City approach it considering that maybe they'll be thinking more about the Tuesday second leg against Liverpool and not so much on winning the title against United. 
Well, I think, listen, like you've just said, Tom, the, two, the, the title is in the bag, yes. It would have been lovely to do it against Man United. Uh, and, and basically, you know, the old saying that Fergie said, the noisy neighbours, it would, it would be the ice and, you know, and the cherry on the cake for, for the Man City fans. But in terms of where they're at with the Liverpool game, they're going to need an unbelievable performance. So I would be ultimately really surprised if that team is going to be anywhere near what played against Liverpool and what will play against Liverpool. You know, in, in the return leg, I'd be, I'd be ultra surprised. How will the fans take that, though? Are you a game against Manchester United, your local rivals, the opportunity to win the league against Manchester United? And then if he puts out a weakened, well, not a weakened team, but a, a team that with players that maybe you wouldn't have expected to play if circumstances yeah. were different, it's, it's a difficult situation for Guardiola, isn't it? Well, listen, that's what he's paid for all that money for, you know, but I don't think it is. I think, listen, it's different if the, 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 the title wasn't in the bag. There's no doubt it's in the bag, yeah. Of course, if you said to Man City fans, listen, we, we keep everybody fresh and we have a right go at it against Liverpool in, in the return leg, uh, and we might have to, you know, swallow one against um, Man United, but we're still going to win the title. I think the majority of City fans would understand. I think that the, the the motivation of some of the players is really interesting here because. You know, say I, I speak to a lot of players, and I'm sure you'll tell me that sometimes, you know, players always give 100% in their games. But, you know, we watch it. They obviously don't. Kevin De Bruyne is not going to overexert himself against Man U. David Silva's not going to overexert himself, is he? And, you know, they were talking about maybe bringing Sergio Aguero back for this game. Surely you'd keep him in Cotton Wall for another few days to make sure he can play on the Tuesday. So is it worth playing, guys? You're definitely going to need on Tuesday if they are not going to be at their absolute best. Well, I think you're right, Tom. I think, listen, at the end of the day, it'll be professional. And, and I think these boys, unfortunately, you, you, it's when you're just sort of a little bit apprehensive and looking forward to another game, and that's when the injuries happen. So I would imagine, I'd imagine you look at, certainly David Silva at his age, I can't see it. You're right about Aguero. I can't see him risk, you know, risking him um, if there's a chance, because I, I think he was a massive miss against Liverpool. 100%, I think. His use is still really finding his feet, and, and Guerrero was in such good form. Um, how much that is a risk where he's at, you know, uh, in his recovery um, is another thing. You know, in terms of, I do think he's got the squad that he can. He can, you know, Danilo, the likes of Danilo, uh, John Stones. So, so there, you know, you're not talking about, <laughs> you're not talking about a lesser squad coming in. But, um, you know, I understand, listen, they would love, Man City fans would love to win it against Man United. It would be would just would, you know, the gloating way and just imagine it. But I think if you ask the right sound, the majority of the City fans, if they said, listen, we might just have to put the title champagne on ice for another week or so. Um, but it's going to give us an unbelievable chance to, to really go and have a go at Liverpool in that return leg. Uh, on the game from a couple of nights ago, Dave and I have had our, our view on it, uh, and I, we just can't quite work out what City did so wrong. Was it the fact that Laporte and Walker didn't give them the balance? Was Gundogan the wrong pick? Should Sterling have started? How much did Guardiola get wrong? How much can we blame him for it? Or is it simply players not performing at Anfield? Well, I think it's a bit of both. Um, you know, when hindsight is manager, is 2020 vision. Um, but... 
you know, I would say I was ultimately surprised that he played Gundogan uh, in that elected to stay with the same team at one against Everton. I think if you looked at it, it was glaring and obvious Gundogan didn't want to play out in the right-hand side, mm. couldn't cope with Robertson's pace going forward. I think if Sterling's on the pitch, Rob, Robertson doesn't get forward anywhere near um, like he would do. Um, I think Laporte, in terms of, he looked like a centre-half playing there. And I know it's easier said than done, but he's got to show Mo Salah down the right-hand side on his right foot. You know, the third goal was a classic example. Shown down his right foot, it lets the rest of the defence get in a position that they can defend the cross. As soon as he chops it in on his left foot, he's, he's deadly shown it numerous times. He can score with that left foot and, you know, pick out players like he did. And I just think that, <clears throat> listen, another defender there might not, he might have done the same thing because saying, looking at it from the sideline and saying, yeah, that's what he should have done and actually doing it is, is another thing because, you know, Mo Salah's had a, you know, done it to most defenders this season, mm. but I just think an orthodox left-back or even, you know, Fabian Belfry's played there, better lower centre of gravity used to getting in and, and, and in midfield and, and showing people and, and moving his feet quicker. He just looked a bit cumbersome um, Lepore went up against the smaller man he, he, and he didn't, he didn't get his body shape right in his defending. Steve, they're 3-0 down at half-time in, in, this, in this tie. What chance, realistically, do you give them of, of getting through on Tuesday? Well, I think, I think there's, there's every chance. You know, there's no, no, no two ways. I think Mo Salah, I think, if he has a groin strain, you know, he'll struggle to make it. Um, I'll, I'll be very surprised, even if it's a little grade one, that's normally you know, 10 days to two weeks. Um, so that, that's a massive bonus. Um, they showed in the second half when, when he wasn't playing... Liverpool were nowhere near um, the levels. Obviously, their tactics slightly changed because they were three up. But I think, yeah, they, they have a fantastic chance. But what I was really surprised, and it's probably the first time this season where, well, Liverpool again, and, 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 and they were able to come back to make it 4-3, but they just couldn't cope with Liverpool's level and intensity and closing down. And you look at the goals... Um, they just couldn't cope with that in midfield and, and I think that was partly down to uh, Fernandinho was very, when you play Silvan Gundogan, they're, very, they're both number 10s, they don't don't want to do the physical closing down uh, and I think that's where City lost the game for me last night, the three English boys dominated midfield uh, and you know, and, and even in the second half when, when they conceded possession to Man City, De Bruyne and Silver were going far too deep to get on the ball, but that being said, at home, they get a goal within 20 minutes. Um, the mindset totally changes. Maybe they get a little bit more nervous. And you know, the way City have been this season, you wouldn't put it put put it past them to to get back in the game. Uh, I want to ask you about Liverpool and Everton, uh, which is also this weekend, 12.30, big Merseyside dive. Before that, though, just a quick one on Manchester United because they actually put in a decent performance last week against Swansea. Alexis Sanchez played very well in the game and scored as well. Uh, if City win this weekend, the Blues get 87 points and United can only reach 86. A draw extends it maybe for another week. A win can extend it for another couple of weeks. How important yeah. is it for Man United they don't lose this game this weekend? I think so, uh, you know, where they're at, like you said, Sanchez looks like he's finally sitting in. Um, he finally showed the level that we expect from him. Um, but, yeah, I think just, you know, they've got to keep keep it extended as long as possible. 
Um, you know, Mourinho certainly won't want to lose a title to City on 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 his watch in terms of in the game. So, th- so there's a lot to play for for them. Um, you know, so the Man United fans, they certainly won't want to, you know, City to clinch the title uh, against them. That's 100% for certain. Mm. Uh, and on Liverpool, it is Everton for them this weekend. Uh, yeah. And they, of course, just like City, have got a very tight turnaround between these two yeah. games. We've spoken about yeah. Mohamed Salah. He's not going to play this weekend. I've no doubt he'll miss this yeah. one and might miss Tuesday as well. After that yeah. first half, is there a sense that everything from that point could be quite deflating in the sense they've lost the star player? Uh, yeah. You know, they're in a game against Everton where, you know, Everton will raise their game despite their terrible record in these Merseyside derbies. Yeah. And then they go to a City and they're going to have to be more defensive because, you know, there's a chance Mohamed Salah's not there. It could all be one minute they're going to be in the Champions League semi finals and thrash Everton. Four days later, it's all over for them. Yeah, I don't think it's all over. I think if you said they're Liverpool fan, they'd be 3 0 up going into Man City. I don't think in their wildest dreams they'd imagine that. Mm. Um, I think, you know, from, from Klopp's point of view and Liverpool's point of view, it's similar to to uh, Guardiola's in terms of he's got an injured player and I would say, you know, he's going to have to look at key players. Certainly, Herminio, for me, do you risk him? Because if you lose him, mm. um, what do you do? He's worked so hard this season and, and he can only play one way. Uh, I think Manny as well, if, if Mo Salah's going to be out, do you, do, you, do you take the two of them out of the firing line and, and keep them fresh? Obviously, Henderson isn't going to be available for the return leg, so he'll play, I would imagine. Um, so, listen, it's a difficult one, but like you said, with a quick turnaround in games, um, the onus is very much on that return leg and getting his best fit possible team out on that pitch. Uh, and, and I would imagine both managers will, will rest key players on Saturday. Just the most important six days of the season for both of these teams. <laughs> Massive derbies this weekend. Steve Lomas, a former Man City captain. Thanks for your time, mate. We speak to you again. No problem, Tom. All the best. Steve Lomas uh, there with us on the show. We should mention Everton briefly as well. Yeah. Embarrassed last week against Man City. Well, yeah, I mean... I mean, everyone is getting... Been no, yeah, I mean, I'm yeah, not being yeah, critical. Yeah. Everyone, that's happening to everybody. Um, but it's a massive game for them because their record is really bad, isn't it? In, in Merseyside derbies, really poor form. Yeah, in all competitions, Liverpool are unbeaten in the last 16 games against Everton. 16? Yeah, they've won eight and drawn the other I eight. knew it was bad, but that is really bad. But, but then if you flip it round, four of the last five Premier League meetings at Goodison Park have ended level. Mm. And I think they'd probably take a point, wouldn't they, this, at this stage? What, Sam Allardyce? Respect the point. <laughs> I think he'd dine out on that for about 10 years, bit, wouldn't he? Bit interesting, looking at, at uh, Everton's home record this season, it's been much trumpeted, the fact that Sam Allardyce has sorted them out at home, but away from home there's still problems. But actually, I've been looking at some of the stats and reading a few pieces, and the home record actually isn't that much more impressive than, ha- than it has been in recent seasons. And at some of the games that the reason that it wasn't so good when he came in was because they played a lot of the top teams mm. at home already, already at that point. But in each of the last six Premier League campaigns, Everton at home have beaten at least one of the top six teams at some point in the City season. City last year, Thrashton, yeah. of course. Yeah. They've not done that this season. This is the, o- the only opportunity they have left to do it. Last chance, big yeah. chance. And they're also safe as well. I mean, we talked a lot about, oh, they'll probably be all right, they'll probably be all right, but they were not. They got to 40 points uh, when they beat Stoke a couple of weeks ago. Without those little wins against Brighton and Stoke, those back-to-back wins... They could still be in trouble, Everton. They're just 
know how to get over the line. That's that's Big Sam's whole well, thing. And they've done it. Yeah. And they've done exactly that. Right. Uh, those are the big derbies coming up on Saturday, Manchester and Liverpool. But plenty more coming up this weekend, including a game at Stamford Bridge with a lot riding on it. And, of course, a lot around Ray Wilkins in that game as well. Let's talk about that next. It's the Premier League preview show. Back with Wilkins. Absolutely magnificent from Ray Wilkins. Wilkins in the end. And the chip was perfection. A lovely goal by the Chelsea skipper. It is the Premier League preview show for game week 33 of the season. Tom Rennie and David Walker with you. It's been a sad week here at TalkSport and right across English football. Uh, Premier League clubs are going to hold a minute's applause ahead of their games this weekend in memory of the former England captain Ray Wilkins and former TalkSport presenter as well. He died this week at the age of 61. Uh, once of Chelsea, also of Manchester United, Queen's Park Rangers. Uh, AC Milan and Glasgow Rangers too. We're joined by a former teammate of Ray Wilkins and a Chelsea legend to boot in Clive Walker to quickly reflect on this story. How are you, Clive? You're right, mate. Yeah, not too bad, thank you, Tom. A uh, horrible story this week, and clubs across the country, and we've seen internationally, have uh, been paying tribute to to Ray Wilkins. Uh, just a quick comment from you of what it was like to to play with him at Chelsea, and, and what a sad loss it is to football. No, it's a big, big loss. You know, this guy was um, devoted to the game. Uh, loved it throughout his life. And every day probably breathed it as well as, as seeing it through his own eyes. I think the one thing um, for me, I mean, I knew him when I was 14 years of age and grew up with him over the ongoing years and learned a lot about him. And But one thing that really struck out to me when we were very young was this guy was better than everybody else. And I think we have to appreciate our level of football, as good professional footballers that we were, he was always a step and a class above us. And you could see that. And I think when you look back over many, many years, you talk about the great players of years gone by, the Pelés, the George Best, the Maradonas. Um, although Ray probably obviously not as, as huge as those, he was one of English's best players by far. His ability to pass was... Uh, second to none with both feet. He was so well balanced and could score goals in his early years at Chelsea. So a big, big loss to, to the football community. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, I, I worked with Ray a number of times over the years here at TalkSport. And, and as you will have heard on across the station this week, if you've been listening, a lot of TalkSport members of staff held him so fondly in such high regard as everyone who knew him did. And he was a, a really genuinely lovely man. And the outpouring and the tributes that we've heard from people that knew him, from people that just met him once. Mm. There, was a, there was a guy that called in the breakfast show on Thursday morning who was homeless. And, and Ray gave him some money when he saw him on the street and helped him get back on his feet and his life turned around literally on that meeting and that was a you know the sort of guy Ray was he would go out of his way to do anything for anyone and just what you're saying there about how good a player he was and that's that's one sort of thing that slight bit of light comes out of dark moments like this is that when great players of, of yesteryear pass away people like myself who perhaps weren't around when he was in his pomp you see all the old goals and the old footage and and you you see this man who I knew as a pundit, what a great player he was in his day. And that's his legacy. And, you know, the, the goals and the, the caps for England and the, the games for Chelsea and all those clubs, you can never take them away. And the memories of those fans that watched him. Well, I think the one thing that, that does come out of it, from what everybody has been saying, and, and you know, we, 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 we all who knew him will say good things, obviously, but they're all honest. And everybody who's spoken 
that I've heard over the last 48 hours is, has been honest, you know, and this is how he he was, and there's there's no change in that. But he was always a guy who would stop and talk. He'd always have a conversation with you. doesn't matter who you were, who you worked for, what team you played for. He always had time, and I think that's, you know, a testament to, to the type of guy he was, genuine, honest, and had time. Yeah, very, very sad. Dying way, way too young at 61. Uh, let's move to, to one of the great loves of, of Ray's life, and that is Chelsea Football Club. Uh, they're in action this weekend uh, against West Ham United, and there will be some some great tributes, I'm sure, across the Premier League, but uh, none more so, uh, more uh, more appropriate than, than at Chelsea this weekend. Um, let's talk about the game. I'm sure that's what Ray would have liked us to do, uh, and it is a big game, maybe more so for, for West Ham than for Chelsea. Um What's the situation with Chelsea right now? It's bizarre talking about kind of Max Allegri potentially coming in. Is he in talks? I mean, why is Antonio Conte still Chelsea manager? It's, it's, it's baffling to me how this keeps going on, this story. It keeps edging on to another week, edging on to another week. It's very strange to see your team, if you're, you support them, be in such turmoil, having uh, won the league. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi, nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertz and the Channelized Bimbingus at the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chattel sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18+, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Now looking at maybe probably the Europa League, which is where they, they will be established, I think, for next season. And to see the manager being questioned at times and, and this is not just recent this has been over a, a large period of time and I think we are all don't quite understand why how this has come into this mm. sort of situation and then everybody goes back of course about the reason Diego Costa left and Alvaro Morata came in you know there's all but it's all questions and I think it's maybe unsettled the football club over the last what six months or so and I don't think many people from within the club have, have, have helped in many ways and, and Antonio Conte is is probably one of those as well you know it's all been a bit uh, unsettling but I think that has been shown in some of the performances um, probably more individually than as a team I think individuals haven't risen to the levels that they rose to last season uh, on a consistent basis it's been very up and down mm. Uh, at, at times you look at Chelsea and some of the football that they played has been absolutely outstanding, yet we also see some dreadful football. And I think to go from one level to the other, you, we've gone back to a position perhaps over the last six months we were in a few years ago where you weren't quite sure what was going to happen. 
And I think that's how Chelsea are at the moment. And especially coming into this game at the weekend, of course, local derby. Um, big game for both sides in some respects. Probably, like, as you say, Tom, more for West Ham in, in, in respect of points. But I think there's a performance needed from the Chelsea players, um, which obviously with the death of Ray Wilkins, that will be asked for. And, and I think if, if they get come out of the blocks and they, and they perform, I think it's a Chelsea win all the way. But if that doesn't happen, you know, West Ham have got a chance and West Ham's still desperate for points. Absolutely, and, and West Ham will be confident going into this game. On the back of that 3-0 win last week against Southampton, they looked a different team to mm. the one we've seen in recent weeks. Chelsea, in that defeat against Spurs, a game that they usually do so well in at Stamford Bridge, th- it, you know, it's, it is so important, obviously, for the reasons you just spoke about, but really for, for footballing reasons, to avoid their season petering out, they need a reaction and a performance against, against West Ham because at the moment they've lost five of their last seven games. Yeah, and I think um, from the Chelsea fans' perspective as well, a good finish to the season is massively important. I think to finish on a high uh, with as many points as they can get in the bag up to the end, you know, there are a couple of big games still left for them. None less than, of course, the uh, semi-finals of the FA Cup coming again to the Cup final. So there's some big, big games there to play. And I think the supporters, in many respects, deserve something from the end of the season um, because everybody in the club feels they're better than fifth position, but the league doesn't lie, and I think mm. performances have created that. I mean, I, I, the question for Antonio Conte this weekend is how you stop that apathy and that lethargy when it comes from his bullwigged head. I mean, it's all coming from his attitude and his um, continual criti- criticising of his own players and the transfers. I mean, look, Danny Drinkwater has barely had a kick this season. He sat on the bench last weekend. And Golo Kante and Fabregas as a pair, we know that doesn't work. And we've seen repeatedly it doesn't quite work. There was moments when I thought last week at 3-1, Eden Hazard looked a little bit like he, he wasn't that bothered about what was going on. I mean, how is Antonio Conte going to draw motivation out of these players? They might want to be better than fifth, but it's never going to get better than fifth. No, it's not going to get better, but I think the one thing they can see is performances and 100% effort. And I think that's a part of something at times this season hasn't been there. Now, whether that's been through Antonio Conte's uh, way he goes about setting up his side or the training methods or whatever, and a lot of times as well, Tom's been criticised for his very, very late substitutions, which was evident last weekend. So, you know, all those things coming together, um, I don't think it's caused the best atmosphere within. And, of course, as soon as players start losing games, they'll start questioning things. The press will jump onto it. And the pressure increases, and rightly so. Uh, but as a manager and a coach, you have to come out of it with your head held high, whether you stay at the club or you don't, because you want to move on to another position if you leave. And I would, I'm sure Antonio Conte would like to get some decent results if it comes that he leaves at the end of the season. Mm. On West Ham going into this game, Dave mentioned earlier on how good they were against Southampton and it was a brilliant first-half performance, one that I certainly didn't expect. They've got 33 points now. Uh, we were trying to find the line of safety earlier on and we reckon it's going to be 37-38. to 38. West Ham on 33. Um, it's Stoke up next. They've also got Everton and Man United at home, which are games they might be able to pick points up from. A draw here for West Ham is a very, very good result. Draw here, win next Saturday, 37, and that's the line. How do you expect David Moyes, not the most positive of managers, to set West Ham up this weekend? 
Well, I think there was a lot of uh, criticism for from West Ham fans uh, prior to him getting the job, and I don't think a lot of West Ham fans were were happy. And I think when he came in, it was all about survival at that particular time. So I guess with 33 points, they've got an opportunity to survive now. So if it all goes downhill from here on in, you know, David Moyes won't be along, around for very, very much longer. But he's got himself, his side set into a sort of certain position. And I think when you look at the players that they've got, you're asking for individual performances. Now, whether he sets his side up in whatever formation it is, it's those individual players. And I'm talking about the big players mm. who have got to perform. Now, if they perform on a regular basis, West Ham will get out of trouble, no problem at all. But you need to ask questions of their mentality at times. And like we were just talking about Chelsea, it's very much a similar situation in reverse, if you like, with one team near the top and one, near, one team near the bottom desperate for points. But West Ham, certainly if they set up in the right mood and from the result last week, should be in confident form. So, you know, they've got every chance of getting something. Whether they can get a win or not, is another thing. A draw, as you say, would be a good point, and it keeps them rocking and rolling and keeps them going to, to that target of points that they need. They're just such a weird mishmash of mavericks, this West Ham team. When you've got a team that's got Marco Anatovic, who's been in stunning form recently, and Jao Mario, and Arthur Masuaku, and Manuel Lanzini, if it doesn't work, it looks so, so bad. Uh, but when it does work, you get a first half like they got against Southampton. Listen, Clive, one other quick question for you. Of course, you and I are doing uh, Man City against Man United this weekend. That's our international feature at 5.30. If you're outside the UK, you can hear that game with me and Clive through our broadcast partners right around the world. just wanted to ask you about this uh, quickly because uh, we spoke to Steve Lowe mass about it and there's a kind of sadness to the fact that City now maybe their focus is going to be all on the Liverpool game and we might see a lack of motivation we might see a second string team we've been a bit short changed haven't we I thought we were going to get the big title moment uh, I'll tell you what the fact that it's City against United surely that has got to infuse something into to the City players you know complacency for them won't be acceptable by Pep Guardiola and I think as an individual player, if you're playing for Man City, if you let yourself down now at this stage of the season, then he's going to be looking over his shoulder and moving you on and bringing in other players. So I think there's a, a, an element of pride, surely, from those players. And, and they have been exceptional this season. And I can understand on occasions, you know, the performances uh, like against Liverpool, it's not going to be so good, but that's going to come around now and then. But you know what? I think they're just good enough to go on and win this against United. But, again, Jose Mourinho will come up with his own plan, won't he, to, to try and stop that happening on this occasion. I mean, it's inevitable they're going to win the league, City. But what a, what a team to do it against if it's against United. If there's anyone who can spoil an occasion, it's yeah. Jose Mourinho. But we're going to bring you that, whatever happens, and maybe we'll get that big title moment. Maybe it'll go to someone else next week. Can I get myself on that game? Yeah, let's make it work. Clive, thank you very much indeed. Uh, former Chelsea QPR, uh, Fulham, Sunderland man as well here on the preview show. Plenty more to get through. Stay with us. It's the Premier League preview show for the 33rd week of the season. The business end of the season. Business end. Business end. Is like there anything phrase. else? Yeah, I think it's a bit fun, first 15 weeks. What's the other end of the season then? Uh, the what are they jolly doing? Week. They're not doing business. They're doing joviality. They're having fun. They're enjoying ourselves. <laughs> okay. That's the bit where, you know, yeah. go out there and express yourself, boys. The pleasure part of the season, yeah. I suppose, is we've the opposite. Gone, yeah, we've gone pleasure to pain. Okay. And we're going to get some serious pain coming up uh, in the next few weeks. But maybe not for Spurs. 
uh, because they, I think, all but confirmed Champions League football last week with their victory uh, over Chelsea. Yeah. And it's a shame because I love that. You know, it's one of them stats that you always know without doing the research. I always used to know that West Ham hadn't won at Liverpool since 1963 and Jeff Erst scored. And you just knew that one forever, forever. And they won there a couple of years ago and you lose it. Uh, and Spurs hadn't won at Stamford Bridge since 1990, pre-Premier League, Gary Lineker and all that sort of stuff. It's gone now. It's finished. It is. Um, Got to do the work now. <laughs> yeah, but Spurs fans that I've been speaking to in the last week, despite that victory over Chelsea, they're still... Still in their old way, expecting them to somehow scupper their own chances of getting into the top four, which surely isn't going to happen. Dunsky, man. Absolutely Dunsky. They were great last week. Uh, Harry Kane coming back as well. Might probably be on the bench this weekend uh, away at Stoke. I mean, their record Uh, at Stoke. You'll know this better than me. Their record at Stoke is mad. They've won the last two or three by four goals to nil. They're always thrashing them. Their last two away games, 4-0 at Stoke. 4-0. I mean, and you wouldn't, the way Stoke have played in recent weeks, I mean, Paul Lambert was always going to be a bit of an indifferent performance. I don't think they've changed anything they did from the, when Mark Hughes was there. They, they had a few moments, though, didn't they, against Arsenal last week? That was so, I mean, that's the kind of game that should you get relegated, and you've got to say it doesn't look good for Stoke right now. That's when you look back and you go, we could have got a nil-nil draw there. Arsenal were never scoring. They were never that bothered. And that's not a penalty. That is nowhere near being a penalty. But that's the kind of thing that happens. You've, you've been in it yourself, Dave, with, with Watford down the years. That's when you get relegated. You go, well, look at what happened there. We'd have got a point there. They might go down by a point, and they've been robbed by officials. Robbed by a lack of VAR, Dave, some would say. That would be the entirely wrong way to look at it, though. It would Because the, the reason that they will be relegated, if they are indeed relegated, is because they haven't been good enough, and mm. they haven't scored enough goals, and they haven't kept enough out. You can't just put Dave. That, you can't just pinpoint it down to one give penalty some... decision against Arsenal in the latter part of the season. No, you have, eventually the the table doesn't lie and all that sort of stuff. You know, the whole season matters, but it's the final six, final eight games where the big decisions do matter. Yeah. Because as we've discovered, the first half of the season is all for fun. Second half of the season, snow well, wasn't fun. I'll give, you, I'll give you a stat, stat which is more important for their. Rel- possible relegation than that penalty decision. Okay. They've conceded 61 Premier League goals this season. Oof. Which is the most in the league. Mm. Um, how do they set up this weekend, Stoke? I just think they've got to get the ball to Shakiri in the number 10 role and try and make him do some magic. I mean, he scored the first goal last week. His scoring record's been very, very good this year. Uh, I, I just, apart from getting the ball with Shakiri, I'm not really sure what Stoke's game plan would be here against the Tottenham side who... Oh, they, they break at pace, they defend well, they're solid in midfield. I mean, there's no weakness there I can see to attack. And even Shakiri has been spouting his mouth off recently, isn't he? What has he He's said? Not, not very happy. He's basically saying that, look, I'm, I'm doing my best here, guys. Mm. I think it was when he was in the international break and he was speaking to uh, a foreign uh, news outlet. And because he... we'll never hear that. <laughs> exactly. That'll never come through never to, get us. Back to us. Well, there's no one who can translate in England, not one person. I, I think he pretty much said that I'm doing my best, but look look what I've got around me. Is that a poor side? Is it a poor squad? I mean, I, I was looking at the Arsenal lineup the other day. Um, Joe Allen was, would stay in the Premier League and, and play for, for a lot of teams outside the top six. Mm. Um, and Dai, he's been all right since he came in midfield. I wouldn't say I've seen enough of him to say he'd stay, but I certainly think he's all right. Yep. Jack Butler, we're talking about him getting a move to Liverpool and maybe being England's number one or number two, keep it for the World Cup. Apart from that, what's there? Glenn Johnson, Eric Peters, Ramadan Sobi. That's pretty average stuff. That's a pretty poor group of players they've given both Mark Hughes and then Paul Lambert to work with, isn't it? 
Um, They've been underinvested in. Is that what Stoke's big problem's been this year? I don't. I don't know if it's you can singularly put it down to that. I, I think. You, I mean, Stephen Ireland's on the bench. I thought he'd retired. Yeah, I mean that that the squad isn't certainly I don't think good enough or deep enough, and I think it has declined over the years. But they still got they have, there's pockets of quality in the squad as you've just mentioned. But I think to look at it another way, if you'd gone through the 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 Tony Pulis Stoke squads and and in, and indeed the Mark Hughes Stoke squads for the first three seasons or however however many that he did well there for. Um, you would probably be able to say the same thing and say, well, this player, that player, are they good enough? But under the right coach, a motivated coach who's got a motivated group of players, mm. you can somehow bring out performances in, and, and across the season that perhaps is better than the level of the players that are there. And at the moment, it's going really badly. The, the, the Mark Hughes obviously lost control of the situation and he lost whatever he had that was doing well at one time. Lambert hasn't managed to pull anything out of the fire. And that's when you look at the players and think, you know, maybe they aren't good enough. But I think it's a combination of of, of all those factors. The coaches haven't been good enough, managers haven't been good enough, and neither of the players, obviously. I always find it odd. I mean, there's so many sackings and there's so many managerial departures. And a lot of the time, I think, yeah, yeah, I can understand why it happened. But unless you've lined up an improvement, and I, I've talked a lot about Slavon Village to David Moyes, uh, and I think Hughes to Lambert is another scenario where was Mark Hughes doing so badly, like West Brom badly, to the point where they needed to replace him with someone who wasn't ostensibly better? Well, I, I, and that's always the question yeah. with managers. If you're going to improve, do it. But if you're not going to improve, you've already got a guy in charge who at one stage you thought was the right man. Unless it's a West Brom-sized disaster. It seems weird to me. I would question, not just for Stoke, but for many, many clubs across the Premier League and, and below, the recruitment strategies when they're appointing, the man- appointing managers. Because you look at the, the, the amount of money and time put into recruiting players. Most Premier League, if not all Premier League and, and Championship and Football League clubs will probably have a list of every position on the pitch and, and like five targets or players that they're monitoring around the world mm. from all ages and the, across budgets and everything. They've got plan A, plan B, plan C all the way down. But for managers, it seems like they never know what they're going to do until it, until it happens. They're like, oh, God, we've got to find a new manager now. Who's, a, who's around? Oh, Lambert's free. Yeah, he'll do. Oh, Pardew. Oh, he's, he's... Yeah, get him in. Hughesy. Yeah, exactly. And that's why you end up, I think, with all these same sort of names again. And they should have succession plans. They should be identifying targets from all over the place. Mm. You know, from lower down in, in, in England or in Scotland or across Europe, across the globe. In the same way that they do with players. And the, the best clubs are the ones that do that. Look at Watford. Mm. They appointed Javi, Javi Grathia... About five hours after they sacked they Marco knew. Silva. They knew what they were doing. Yeah, there was no window. Because there's always a plan. Yeah. Every time they've lost a manager to the to the mainstream media's dismay, they always knew what they were going to do. I loved how he did the accent, by the way. <laughs> I loved it. I mean, it always hurts my teeth when people say Cathola. But you went for it, and you know what? I'm proud of you. Okay. Uh, that leads nicely to Southampton. They go to Arsenal on Sunday, uh, 2.15, uh, sorry, UK time. Um, and their performance against West Ham, I thought, was shocking. Uh, West Ham were pretty good. We discussed that earlier on, but they went 4-4-2. They put Charlie Austin in. You know, still top scorer, despite the fact he's missed three, four months of the season. Mm. Um, they put him up front with Gabby Adini, and they basically both got in each other's way. The lack of application from Lamina and Hoiberg in midfield, I thought, was frightening. And when you, if you stepped away from Southampton and you're in a relegation battle, 
The first name on my team sheet is James Ward-Prowse. He's the first person I play in midfield in these situations. And yet Mark Hughes, first couple of weeks he's been there, granted, but he thought he should go on the bench and he played Laminia and Hoiberg. We've discussed before how Mark Hughes is a slow starter at clubs. And that's why this is a weird appointment for me. He might take five, six games. And in a couple of games' time, they lose this weekend. I'm not sure they're going to be able to get 35 points. Never mind the 37 we think will be the line. Well, speaking of management recruitment strategies, I mean, Mark Hughes is, is completely at odds with all the previous incumbents of that job. Mm. If you think about who they've had, they've had Pochettino, they had Koeman, Claude Puel, Pellegrino. And they've just gone for an you know, an off-the-shelf solution in Mark Hughes. It doesn't seem to be a good fit, apart from the fact that he used to play for Southampton, so there's that link, but what does that mean? doesn't really ever do anything, does it, really? Not like he played there at his peak. No, but anyway, and it, 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 yeah, it's an odd fit, and he, he, he would say, look, I've got a point to prove I'm good enough, and he, over the years, I suppose he has won enough Premier League games to say that he could, you know, to make that case. Mm. But it doesn't look good for Southampton at all, does it? That, that was a game where the eyes were on him, saying, right, you've had two weeks, you had the game in the Cup, you've had time to work with these players. Mm. It's against West Ham, who are a team that were in terrible form in, mm. that, in that stadium where we know all the problems they've had. And what happened? They got thrashed. Mm. They weren't even close. It was, it was a shocker. Uh, it's Arsenal away, then it's Chelsea at home, then it's Leicester away. Very, very tough month. They go into next month. There's a couple of winnable ones. Uh, Bournemouth home. Um, big game for both of them on the south coast. Away at Everton, Everton's home form we discussed, though it's mm. not great, it's also not awful. Uh, Swansea away, and then it's City at home. I mean, is tough. there... Nine, really tough. Nine points in there from this point no. would only get them to 37. I mean, yeah. And that's three wins. You look at it like that, I mean... I mean, uh, it's it's going to be tight, let's put it that way. It's going to be very tight for Southampton. Best but pe- teams do it every year. on the bright year. side, Portsmouth might get up in the playoffs in League One. Then they'd have their local derby back, at least. Bright side. Um, Bournemouth Palace this weekend 3 o'clock UK time Um, I love Bournemouth they have been apart from the the obvious two City and Liverpool they're the team I've liked watching the most this year because I know I say it every week uh, in every game there's always goals for both teams when they concede a goal sit down get some popcorn and get into it because they are going to chuck everybody forward sometimes it costs them the Hung Min Son goal the Spurs game springs to mind uh, but in games, there is times where they've got eight players. I think this might be the West Ham game I'm thinking of. It was West Ham at Watford. I can't remember now. But they basically had seven players inside the opposition penalty area. It was the 61st minute. They were only losing 1-0, but they banged everybody up. And I love the way they do it. Uh, and they've got Palace this weekend. And if Palace score in this game, I'd fancy Bournemouth to win heavily. If they can keep it 0-0 for as long as they possibly can... Palace might be able to win something from it. Um, and what's interesting here is that uh, we talk a lot about Wilfred Zahar being so important for Palace. He just doesn't score any goals. He does not score enough goals to be the guy you look to to keep you up. And what about those misses from Benteke last week? I mean, they've got a lot of misfiring players, Palace. They might get drawn back into this. Yeah, you look, if you look at the numbers, the, the old expected goals suggest that oh Benteke God. should have had nine goals this season. He's and how many has he got? He's got two. He's missed a lot. I was there for one of them. Historic. He's missed a lot of what you would, chances that you would say on on paper to the naked eye, a fairly easy, straightforward chance to at least work the keeper. And he he, he is obviously a a player who goes through spells where he looks brilliant, but then he just goes cold for long spells as well. He's very, very lacking in confidence at the moment. And 
you know, it's a difficult time for him. Even Roy Hodgson was struggling really to sort of defend him. He was defending him, but I mm. think you could tell read between the lines and he, you know, okay, he's not having a good time of it at the moment. But I saw Bournemouth play Watford last week. Mm. And you're right, they you know I can see why they are where they are. They've got some really exciting attacking players. They've got some decent defenders as well. Mm. But as a team, they, they don't really grind out. There's they're no not, cover for yeah, those defenders. They're, they're not interested in really grinding out results. No. Yeah, they, those, those defenders are left exposed at times. And I was, it was one of those matches where I was, I was sitting there in the stands before kickoff and you, you sort of you hear the opposition team read out and you look at the lineup. You think, oh, Christ, they've... Actually, they've got a lot of good players, haven't they? He's quick. He's quick. Ooh, very He's fast, quick. Yeah, yeah. What are we going to do? I mean, we could be in trouble here. Like, and as it turned out, it was a two-two draw in the end. Probably just about a fair result. And they were a bit creaky at the back at times. They go hot and cold within mm. games, and they've scored a lot of late goals, as you said. When they concede, they will go for it. And, and I think there's a reason that they conceded so many late goals because they don't give up and they just throw the thing at it. They can bring on Jermaine Defoe and just have a go. Yeah, I love watching Bournemouth. Uh, I'd fancy in this weekend uh, against Palace. Uh, Huddersfield Town in a bit of stuck at the moment. Ooh. Thirty-one points. Tough yeah, games yeah, yeah. coming up. And at Brighton, it's a massive game. This. this is Brighton are so good at home as well. Well, they lost though last week, didn't they? Very true. To Leicester. Yeah, this is a, a six-pointer uh, in every sense of the word. Are Brighton still in it for you at 34? Definitely. Yeah? yeah well, especially if they lose this. Yeah, yeah. Huddersfield are right back on, right breathing down their next level on points. Mm. And depending on what else happens beneath them, they could be right close to the relegation zone. Um, you, you, you think Brighton have done enough across the season to stay up and they'll get a result. I don't know what the remaining games are beyond this. But it, that, that result last week, because they could have giving them 37 points, and there's that breathing space. Now, of course, Huddersfield are not in a good uh, run of form themselves. They haven't scored for four games. Mm. But it's going to be nervous, I think, at the Amex on Saturday. Do you know what's funny, looking at all these teams down there? Because uh, I've been looking at the West Ham fixtures, obviously thinking, oh, cool, we've got, got to play Arsenal, got to play Chelsea. But then everyone's got games like that. So going through Brighton's games, Spurs at home coming up, United at home coming up, last two games of the season, City away, Liverpool away. So this game for, Hudders- for, for them against Huddersfield... It's yeah. huge. Do you know what? I totally underestimated it. You're absolutely right. They win this game. They get 37 points. Will they get one point in the remaining games? I think they possibly will. Uh, probably will. If they don't, I'm not sure I see too many points left. It's Palace, the big derby, coming up next for them as well. Got to beat Huddersfield, who themselves have got a really tricky few games coming up too. And I, I know I've annoyed a lot of Huddersfield fans with this this season, but I feel as if I'm, I've, I've gone with this line. I'm sticking with it. I do believe it. When I watch Wolves in the Championship and when I watch teams like Fulham in the Championship and I think, oh, I'd love to see them come up and come up and try and win games like Bournemouth do. They've come up Huddersfield and try and do what Middlesbrough done last year. They try to draw their way and nil-nil their way and bludgeon their way to safety. Whether that's resources, whether it's needs, master, whatever, I get all that. But also, you know, we ain't going to be able to sell this league around the world on Huddersfield Town playing like that. Get someone else in who wants to attack. Fine, I'm on board. If you want to come and get, nil, get 38 nil-nils, what's the point? Uh, be careful what you wish for, is all I'd say. Because yeah. Middlesbrough, I know. Well, Cardiff, we, could have, we could have Warnock and Pulis back. Millwall might even get up. Oh, I know. And nobody wants that. Last week, there was a point where they were sixth. Oh, it's very worrying. Uh, listen, some quick predictions on these. Uh, Leicester against Newcastle. Newcastle probably a few points away. 35 now. They've been good at home. Poor on yeah, the very road. Poor away, yeah. Uh, except for recently. Uh, where they they won the last couple on the road. Uh, it's bizarre, Newcastle United. Oh, it's a little pull away from home. They have been all season, but they've won like the last. Oh, is that wrong? I might have that. I might have that wrong. That was a draw at Bournemouth, wasn't it? And then Liverpool. All right, I'll do that again. 
Newcastle can secure three consecutive... Oh, it's Premier League victories. Sorry, it's not away victories. I misread that. <clears throat> I'll do it again. Nearly we're out of time. Let's get through some of these other games that are taking place this weekend. Let's go to Leicester up against Newcastle. Leicester, great win for them against Brighton last week. 43 points. Uh, the season's basically over for them. Uh, for Newcastle, their away form isn't great, but they've won the last two games. And it may be, on our scale, a win away from Premier League safety. A great achievement. It would be. They squeaked past Huddersfield, didn't they, last week in a very tight game. So nervy. It was yeah. so nervy. It was really engaging to watch, actually. And... I, if Dwight Gale could score a goal, they'd have won it 6-0. Yeah. But I feel like I've said that 20 times this season. I know Leicester's season, as you just said, is, is for all intents and purposes over. But they're playing quite well. Vardy's in good form. Newcastle haven't been brilliant away from home all season. So I, I wouldn't be backing Newcastle to get anything out of this. No, I also don't fancy Newcastle in this one. Uh, Watford at home. So... So impressive uh, in their home form in recent weeks yeah. and months. Getting good draws when they might have lost. Getting wins when they might have drawn up well, against the Burnley team. Got a draw when they might have won last week. Well, yeah, very good point. Uh, but against Burnley, I mean, they're away form. It's staggering. It's stunning, It's isn't staggering it? how good it's been. And you compare it to last year as well. Six away wins. Uh, and I know they were outplayed. I mean, last time I watched them was the West Ham game. They were outplayed for an hour. But once they scored, they basically suckered West Ham in struck them on the counter and then demolished them. It was yep. the perfect away and performance. I think they'll probably try and do the same, same to Watford this weekend. I think it'll be a very different game for Watford this weekend as it, than, than it was last week against Bournemouth, Burnley and Bournemouth. You couldn't pick two more different teams, really, could you, in, in the Premier League? Uh, an interesting stat I, I saw when looking through the numbers ahead of this one. Uh, Watford have conceded a league high 27 goals in the opening 45 minute of Premier League games this this season. So in the first half, 27 goals just in the first half of matches. Burnley have only conceded 27 all season. <laughs> yeah, very good. Uh, I'd fancy Burnley this weekend. Sorry, mate. Uh, and the last game we haven't mentioned: uh, West Brom against Swansea. Darren Moore in charge of Albion. You know, Swansea uh, apparently have open talks with Carlos yeah, Carvalhal about that. increasing his contract. Premature? Maybe they're maybe they're just tempting fate a little mm. bit there. Mm, I, I, I mean, I think Swansea have improved and they've obviously went on that great run. They're not out of it just yet. And I thought were very poor against Spurs when I watched them a few weeks ago. Dreadful last week against Manchester United. Uh, also the same against Huddersfield the week before. There's been some good showings. The West Ham performance was obviously I tell great. You, it, just, it just takes one It takes one result sometimes to just change the equilibrium of everything and just set one team going one way and another going the opposite direction. If West Brom win this match on Saturday no. and Swansea lose... Could it, you know, just strange things happen sometimes. You just never know. Strange things happen at the business end. Uh, Dave, thanks a lot, mate. That's the end of the preview show for this week. We are back next week with another one. Enjoy the football. We'll see you then. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com. 18 plus. Be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to work in the channelized bin bingus of the bypassal rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chattel sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how.